I invite you to take your Bible this evening and open to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, if you would turn there. Ephesians chapter 6. This evening, we will look at demonic influences in the Christian life. And it's, uh, it's not a, a pretty uh, sermon. Uh, I'm, my, my purpose, my goal is not to shock you. I, I don't believe in that. I want to make you aware. And we'll be looking at various verses of the Bible this evening. Um, we'll be starting in Ephesians. That's our natural starting point. Boy, it's so good to see you tonight. I'm so happy that you came. God bless you for coming. And Olivia, it's good to see you back. Georgine, God bless you. Uh, it's good to have these ladies back. We prayed for you both every day. Yeah, praise the Lord. All right, Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll just read a couple of verses. Three, four verses, something like that. If you can, would you stand to your feet, please? And we'll read verses 10 to 13. Verses 10 to 13, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's begin reading together. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to once again realize that uh, there's a war going on, an unseen war, and yet so very real. Lord, I pray that you would please encourage us in some spiritual truth tonight. I pray that you would increase our faith tonight. I pray that someone would get a victory in place of the defeat that they've been experiencing. I pray that all of us would take heed and take guard and put on the whole armor. Help us to do this day by day and to leave it on and not take it off and to walk with you, Lord, until the happy day you call us to yourself. And so bless us, please, as we do our study in Jesus name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, I think if you've been saved for a few years, I think you'll agree with me that demonic influences are everywhere to be found all over the world. It doesn't matter where you go. You take it with you just about. You are a target. If you found a little lonely desert island and the only inhabitants of the island were, you know, iguanas and lizards and a few birds and seagulls maybe, well, you, you would have spiritual struggles on that, that desert island. You know, the answer is not to change nations. The answer is not to change provinces. The answer is not to change cities. The answer is not to change churches. The answer is not to change houses. The answer is to change our garments and to put on the whole armor of God. That's what we need. Because no matter where we are, the devil knows and he's going to find us. You cannot escape uh, demonic influences. There are, I'd like to suggest there are minor demonic influences and there are major demonic influences. Now think for a moment what might be considered, what you might consider 
some minor demonic influences. Think about that for a minute. All right, minor demonic influences. How many thought of murder? Nobody? Okay, why not? Does anybody here struggle with murder? Thoughts of murder, 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 murder. Anybody here really have a passionate struggle with murder? No? Then in your life, that's a minor demonic influence, isn't it? Have you ever thought of murder as a minor demonic influence? Now with some people, it's a major demonic influence, isn't it? And these people, we have a a title for them. We call them murderers. But if you don't struggle and hunger and thirst after killing people, this is a minor demonic influence in your life. Can you think of some other minor demonic influences in your life? Murder is one. We got that one. That's a minor demonic influence in your life. How about Satanism and worshiping Satan? Anybody here struggle with Satanism? Oh, they're just so tempted to worship Satan. That's a minor demonic influence in your life, isn't it? You don't stay up at night. You don't wake up in the middle of the night, you know, with hungerings and thirstings over murder and satanic influence. What are some other minor satanic influences, demonic influences in your life? Bank robbery? How about that? You get the idea? Do you understand what I'm, I'm trying to say? There are certain things that you are not tempted with. You don't have a problem with robbing banks. And yet there are people in this world, they can't drive past a bank without planning. How? You know? For them, it's a major demonic influence. But I'm trusting that it's not a major influence for anyone here tonight. That would be considered a minor demonic influence. All right, then. What might be considered a major demonic influence in our lives? If not murder, bank robbery, you know, incest, some of these major horrible, horrible things we read about and hear about in the news, then what would be a major demonic influence in our lives? Major demonic influence. Something that hits us where we live. Something that doesn't leave us alone. Something that haunts us. Something that's always there. It always pesters us. Its head always seems to pop up. And we thought we, we bopped it down. It pops back up. What might you consider a major demonic influence in your life? Is it possible that it could be a secret desire to get rich? Greed. If so, that would be a major demonic influence in your life. Could it be pride? Could it be pride? And if someone says something that hurts your feelings, you take great offense at this. Could it be anger? Do you have a short fuse? Oh, tiptoe around her, tiptoe around him. Don't say anything to upset them. Oh boy, I remember the last time. Oh, that would be a major demonic influence in your life. Is this making any sense? Yeah. Demonic influences in in Christian lives. Well, 
we could go on and on, but um, I think we get the idea. Uh, we can't see it, though. It's invisible. But it's just as real as radio waves. We can't see radio waves. That little phone in your pocket or your purse, that little personal device, it's constantly sending and receiving radio waves. Constantly, constantly, constantly. It's not just when it rings. You know, you have that thing in your pocket. Wherever you go, it's telling Google where you are. And Google will send you a map that shows you everywhere you've been. I get these emails from Google. I don't ask for them. They come to me and they tell me where I've been for the last three months. And I say, oh my, have I been there? And I think, oh yeah, I would guess I was. I had my, my phone with me. We can't see the radio waves. Can you imagine how miserable your life would be if you could see radio waves, if you could hear these things? It would drive you out of your mind. Uh, if, if you have three or four or five uh, radios in your home, go home tonight and turn them all on at once to different channels. Some of them are on rock and roll. Some of them are on dozy music. You know, some of them are on news. Some of them are some wild guy with political opinions, whatever. And they're bombarding. And Turn up the volume and try and listen to them. You'd say, well, I could only stand about 10 seconds of that and I got to turn it all off. That's right. It's a good thing that we can't hear all of the radio broadcasts that are being made. It's a good thing we can't see or or be affected by all of the radio waves and the signals that are flying all around us. It's incredible. The air must be absolutely black with radio waves going every which way. Some people have theories of how they affect us physically. I don't know anything about that. But I do know it's a good thing that we're deaf and blind to this stuff. Otherwise, we go crazy. But you know something even worse? We're deaf and blind to the spiritual war that's going on all around us. It's there, folks. One of the devil's tricks is to lull us to sleep and convince us, no problem, nothing's happening, all quiet on the Eastern Front. It's not. I'm here to tell you it's not. It's a war. It was Lester Roloff, the great evangelist, who used to sing, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation hall. It's a war and not a game. And then he'd say, run if you want to, run if you will, but I came here to stay. You know, we have to prepare ourselves for life, don't we? Not just how to get a job and how to properly budget our money. We have to prepare ourselves for, for life in a battle against the devil. And God knows our need. And he knows we're sitting ducks for Satan's temptations and all of the tricks and the traps, they're called wiles. We just read about them there. We're under constant bombardment. Now, a question that a lot of Christians have is whether they can be possessed by Satan or by a demon, a devil, or something like that. And that's actually a legitimate question. I believe the Bible gives us that answer. And here we begin studying God's word. Let's turn to the right to the book of First John near the end of the Bible, 1 John, and we'll go to chapter 4. Go there now, would you please? 
in 1 John chapter 4. I'd like you to help me here and read out loud with me verse number 4. Let's read 1 John 4, 4 out loud. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And the logical common sense here is that when you're saved, Christ is in you, not the devil. The devil's out there in the world. If you were to carefully read the book of 1 John, you'll know that he talks to the Christians as if they're children or young men or fathers. And it's the allusion to being newly saved or somewhat mature, and then you've been around a long time. You know, you've got the, the fatherly wisdom. Those three sort of levels, if you will. John doesn't address the fathers or the young men. He addresses the newbies, the younger ones, the newly saved ones. And he refers to them as little children. And having um, uh, overcome them, you see, the, the them would refer to the world, the flesh, the devil. Verse 3, every spirit that confesseth not, and so on. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Here's why. Because greater is he that is in you. The God that is in you is greater by far than the devil who's out there in the world. And so I believe the short answer is no. A Christian cannot be possessed by a demon, a devil, or Satan himself. Cannot possess a born-again one. You cannot have Jesus inside you and Satan at the same time. Now maybe once upon a time you used to have the devil in you. Then you receive Christ. He came in and boot the old tempter out. He cannot come in. Now that doesn't mean that he cannot influence. He can be on the outside of your house, not the inside of your house, and he can still cause you a lot of grief and trouble. From the outside of the house, the devil can, he can throw rocks at your window. He can ring your doorbell. He can try and set your front lawn on fire. He can't get in but he can sure cause some mischief from without. And this comes down to demonic influences in the Christian life. Now let's take a look at this. We'll go back to Matthew chapter 16, and we can see this quite clearly. In Matthew chapter 16, we've got this tremendous story of the apostle Peter who made this tremendous confession of who Jesus was. And uh, Jesus, in response to um, what Simon said, Simon Peter said um, in verse 16, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In verse 17, right away, Jesus answered and said, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, that means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter knew who Jesus was. Some people don't believe Peter was born again at this point in his life. I believe he was. Um, I know every man's entitled to his own opinion. I know that. And I believe that Peter was born again. I don't think he would be born again with some of the things he said and some of the things he did. Um, Unless he was, I should say, unless he was born again. And so I believe there's evidence enough here that Simon Peter was saved. Then the Lord, after this, talks about building the church. Then after that, he talks about how he has to be 
taken to Calvary and beat up and crucified. Verse 22, the same Peter took him, began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 23, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me. Now, what's that next word there? Satan. That's a strong rebuke. Peter tried to rebuke the Lord and said, you're making a mistake. This will never happen to you. You can't die. You can't go to the cross. You you got your wires crossed. How about that? And then Jesus says, no, you're the one with the wires crossed. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. He's talking about the devil. And the devil influenced. He influenced from the outside. Now, if you took it, Take a look at chapter 5 of Acts. Go to Acts now. This A few years have gone by, or a couple of years anyhow, have gone by. This same Peter is now turned into a powerhouse for God. And he preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 men and women got saved and baptized, and they joined the church. And so chapter 5, in the days, very early days of the church, you have a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife. And they sold a possession. This is chapter 5 of Acts, verse 1. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the problem was that they, they sold it for, let's say, $10,000. They kept back, who knows, say 5000 They brought 5000 They said, this is what we sold that property for, or that possession. We're giving it all to the Lord. They were lying is what they were doing. They had problems, this couple. Say, what were they doing in the church? Well, I think that they were were saved. I don't think they were unsaved. But I think that like Peter, they allowed outside influence. And so, verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? And it's kind of a tragic story. Uh, both he and his wife died, Ananias and Sapphira, they died. And um, all fear came upon the people. Um, some say, well, I don't think Ananias and Sapphira were saved. Well, uh, there's always a possibility. But I think it's more probable, much more probable, that they really were saved. Uh, they wouldn't have uh, done uh, what they wanted to do if they weren't saved. They wouldn't have been hanging around there with the crowd uh, if they weren't saved, there's just so many questions. There's evidences we have here of saved behavior, uh, but they sinned. Uh, do Christians still sin? Yes or no? They absolutely surely do. John told us if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'd like to show you two verses of Scripture that are extremely important. And I want you to make a note of them and write them down. They're very important when it comes to this um, concept of demonic influence, how the devil tries to influence us. The first one is found in the book of Romans. If you would turn to the right to the book of Romans and find yourself chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and I'd like you to read out loud with me, please, verse number 2. Romans 12, verse 2, read it out loud with me. And be not conformed to this world, 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now there's a daily exercise. This is not a once for all activity. This is something that you and I do every day. We need to get our mind renewed and renewed and renewed and renewed daily, day after day, till the day he takes us home. Because our minds, that's the battlefield, folks. It's in the mind. The devil's trying to capture the mind. That's why I really have a lot of ifs uh, about um, social media. I'm not against social media. But what I am questioning is over-involvement in social media. How many hours a day are people spending on their devices in social media? And they get so hooked into social media that every time there's a twitch, a beep, you know, a twerp or something out of their device, they have to pull it out and open it up and they have to respond. And it's, it's just a way of life for so many people. They're living in a virtual world and it's controlling them. We see this same similar principle in sports fanatics that all they can think about is football. That's, that's all they can think about. Anything you say, say, Oh, that sounds like a football player. I once heard about, you know, the super bowl is coming and Hey, it's only 11 months and, and 29 days till super bowl. (laughs) There's a fanatic. And they got the posters and all the paraphernalia up and they wear the t-shirts and everything. I'm not against sports, but isn't there a line somewhere in the sand that if you cross it, you know, (laughs) you're a goner. You're a a fanatic. We call them fans, short for fanatics. You know, because you come to church twice on Sunday, people at work probably call you a fanatic. You went, how many, what did you do? How often do you go to that place? What kind of strange hold do they have on you anyhow? They only go to church twice a year, right? We call them C&E, C&E Christians, Christmas and Easter, Christmas and Easter. Yeah, there, there used to be a little gospel tract out with a little cartoon showing this guy who apparently had died and, and he's laying in his casket. And, and the caption is, he finally got straightened out to come to church. <laughs> well, Christianity is largely a battle for the mind. And you have to fight and protect your mind. And we're told right here how important this is. We're to be transformed by the renewing process the refreshing, the renewing over and over and over. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 4.18, the path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And that's what you and I want for our minds. We want them to, to grow and to shine and to be more like Jesus more and more day by day. And that's why every Christian needs a prayer closet. That's why every Christian, man, woman, young person needs to make the time If you don't make the time, the devil's going to grab you by the nose, yank you out of bed with only moments to spare. And he's going to say, okay, quick, get dressed. Out the door you go. You don't have time for the prayer closet. And then when he gets you home, he's going to grab you by the nose again. 
and, and take you up, you know, one TV program, down another video game, whatever, all kinds of things you're doing. And then, oh man, look at the time, I got to get to bed. And you're going to be exhausted, go to bed. And then same thing the next day. He's going to wake you up with just minutes to spare. What kind of life is that? You know, we miss out so much when we don't make time to meet with Jesus every day. You don't have to meet with him for two hours. Although if you can do it, do it. You'll profit by it. I mean, man, to sit at Jesus' feet for two hours, you are going to be the winner. But make yourself time. 15 or 20 minutes is really nothing. I think every Christian ought to be having in the neighborhood of a half hour. It's a half hour. What would I do in the prayer closet for all that time? Well, you start reading your Bible and saying, Lord, what have you got for me? What's your message for me? You got a pad and a, a pencil writing down things that you feel the Lord is talking to you about. 15 minutes goes by like that. And then what you do is you get yourself a prayer paper. Come here on Wednesdays. We'll give you a prayer paper of people who need our prayers and things to pray for. And you take out that prayer paper, you get on your knees or you get on your face and say, now, Lord, I want to pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me to pray. And you'll be amazed. All of a sudden, your beeper will go and your half hour is up. And, oh, sorry, Lord, I, I'll meet with you again tomorrow morning. Same time, same place. How about that? The prayer closet becomes an exciting meeting with Jesus Christ. It's a battle for the mind is what it is. Turn now to Philippians chapter 4 to the right. Philippians, this is the second of the two extremely important verses that I want you to see. Philippians chapter 4. Once more, would you read out loud with me together verse number 8. Philippians 4, 8. Read it out loud. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now it says if there be any virtue, that means excellence. That means something that has a good effect. One reason why uh, children and sometimes adults have nightmares is because they're watching scary horror pictures and movies right before they go to bed. And then their mind is filled with these demons, you know, with icy knives and so on. And they pull the covers up to here and they try and go to sleep. You know what you put your, in your head right before you go to bed is going to affect how you dream. It's going to affect how you wake up the next day. Why not put in some good stuff? It's only a suggestion. If you want to uh, uh, make your car run good, why don't you put in the proper gasoline for it? Put in the proper oil. Apparently, they all, the, all the experts say this, consult your owner's manual. It'll tell you what octane of gas your engine is designed for. It'll tell you what type of oil your engine is designed for. And... If we want to give longevity, you know, to the engine and, and so on, why don't we just follow what the, the, the manufacturer said to do? God is our manufacturer. And he tells us in Philippians 4, 8, the stuff that we're to put in our heads. What percentage of this kind of stuff are you putting in your head every day? 
if you had to somehow do an accounting on all of the stuff that goes in your head, the things that you see and the stuff you listen to, how much of it meets Philippians 4.8 criteria? You know it. There's a lot of junk that comes through our heads. And that's why we need to renew our minds every day. Every day. If you live in the world every day, you need to live in the prayer closet every day. How about that? You'll find such refreshment there. Now, what are some of Satan's influences on our minds and our emotions? A couple of things. Number one, things that build and nourish anger. If there are things in your life that build and nourish anger or nourish aggression or nourish fear and guilt, I suggest you try to get rid of those things. I don't think that they're good in uh, adults or children. I think that music is a wonderful invention of God, but the devil has taken music and has put a a demonic beat to it and a, a sensual thrust to a lot of music. And music that does not glorify God should not be music that permeates our heart and soul. I don't think that rock music has a place in the Christian life. I know that there are Christian rock musicians out there. Fine. Let them stay out there. But us, let us fill our heart, soul, and spirit with things that will bring honor and glory to God. Can you imagine... Jesus, with some kind of wild electric guitar, you know, skipping, hopping along, doing these riffs and things like they're actually doing in some churches. And I mentioned to you that this Hillsong movement that started in Australia, it's gone worldwide. What some of the Hillsong churches are doing now is after the, they finish their, their worship songs to God, they're taking their guitars and smashing them on stage. Can you imagine the Savior involved in any of that kind of behavior? I sure can't. You know, some people say if Jesus were alive today, he'd ride a Harley Davidson, have tattoos and so on. Boy, what have you been smoking? Not my Savior. I see pictures of my Savior in the book of Revelation. He doesn't look anything like that. Hey, I'm not against Harley motorcycles. You know, I wish I had one myself. But uh, this image is what we have to be careful of. Uh, Things that build and nourish anger and aggression, we ought to stay away from. Things that build discontentment, we ought to be careful of. Now, not all advertising is evil, but I'm telling you, a lot of advertising out there is evil. It is alluring us to consume products and be part of activities that are not godly, they're not Christian, they're not wholesome. The advertising agency The whole purpose of its existence is to make money for its employer. It's not just to entertain us. The bottom line is so that we spend money, spend money. That's what the advertising business or industry is all about. And they study it psychologically. They study it, you know, with people in laboratories. They have all kinds of men and women with high degree and lots of learning studying how they can influence us to buy certain products, spend our money on certain services and so on. That's the advertising industry. Now, advertising in itself, there's nothing wrong with advertising in itself. Um, You need to advertise if you're going to be in business or let people know, you know, what sort of product you're selling or service you're performing. You have to, you have to do some sort of advertising, but it's the, 
evil side, the dark side of it that I'm referring to. In fact, the world knows it. And they put out a highly successful TV series called Mad Men not too long ago, if you're familiar with that. Kind of the darker side of all of that stuff. You know, it's sad but true. But things that build discontentment in us. Not all TV programs will do that, but some of them will. Some of them are designed to feed that into us. Sometimes movies, magazines, TV. I'll tell you something that builds discontentment in us is the lotto and the get rich quick. They're always trying to convince us that we'll only be happy if we win the lotto and we buy that big boat, you know, or we go on world cruises once a week or something like that. And it it pictures these uh, happy people, you know, enjoying life. You, you win a whole boatload of money and you've got every reason in the world to fear. If you don't know fear, all, hey, just win the lotto. Every screwball in the world is going to come after you. Oh, well, I'll just say no. No, you don't understand. They are going to come after you. I, I read recently about a man from Ethiopia. He lived in Toronto. And he had just been let go. He was 42 years of age. He had just been let go of his job. And on his way home, he bought a lotto ticket. Well, wouldn't you know, he won. At first, he thought he won $14. And then as he looked at it, he realized he won over $10 million. Well, it turns out the guy was a nice guy. And he wanted to help out his, his fellow countrymen back in Ethiopia. And so he went back to Ethiopia and he wanted to get involved and started to improve people's lives, they killed him. He's not the first lotto winner to be killed. Most people who win the lotto, they ruin and wreck their marriages, their families, their lives, the people around them. As soon as you are entrusted with this big boatload of money, all of a sudden now, you're forced to change. Oh, money will never change me. Yes, it has to, it will. Because every idiot in the world is going to come gunning for you. You're going to have to move from your home into some security guarded place. You're going to have to be extra careful when you let your children out to play. Uh, they're going to find you. The paparazzi is going to hound you. Life is going to change. Listen, that's not a life for us. Our Heavenly Father, He's loaded and He's promised to meet our needs. What do, we, what do we need the lotto for? But the lotto tries to build discontentment into us. Now, Christian people are not immune to this. And Christian people go out and spend God's good money on lotto tickets. You know what they ought to do? They ought to go home and rip them up. Rip up those lotto tickets. Destroy them. You say, well, what if it's a winning ticket? That's my very reason. What's worse than playing the lotto? Do you know? What's worse than playing the lotto? Winning the lotto. They say you can't win without a ticket, which is exactly why you don't need a ticket. Get rid of the ticket. Before God, you ought to pray, Lord, I'm sorry I've put my faith in this lotto, this this is not of heaven. This is of the world. The lotto business is of the world. And it invites all kinds of creepiness. A preacher down in the States 
a few years ago. He was a real great guy. And he was always trying to help his people. He had poor people in his church. And so he started playing the lotto. And he was praying, Lord, let me win. Well, he won $30 million. And within just a couple of years, all the money was gone. His wife left him. He put a shotgun in his mouth and he finished his life. He, he left a letter too. Wish I could go back and undo what I did. The worst thing I ever did was play the lotto. This is a saved man. Boom, blew his brains out. Boy, you really got to be at wit's end to, to consider that. Are Christians immune from suicide? No, we're not immune from suicide. We're not immune from sin. We're certainly not immune from demonic influences, which is what suicide is. Jesus will never tell you to put a gun in your mouth and pull the trigger. Things that build discontentment into us. Ooh, he hurt me. I'm going to hurt him back. No, you don't want to do that. You want to leave that with the Lord. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. If she did you wrong, if he did you wrong, you just get on your knees and give it to the Lord. And you watch. God will bless you for it. He's waiting for you to cast your burdens upon him because he cares for you. And when someone hurts you, it hurts God. He's your father. So don't go and hurt them back. You just give it to the Lord. The Lord will look after them. But God will bless you and encourage you for it. So that's something I've learned in the Christian life. Now, take your Bible, please, and turn to the right to the book of 2 Timothy. Second Timothy. Chapter 1. Now we're talking tonight about demonic influences in the Christian life. And this is a very big one. What I'm about to show you. It's huge. The devil uses it every which way he possibly can. Second uh, Timothy chapter one, and I'd like you to read out loud verse number seven, second Timothy one, seven. Let's read together for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Here is what we know as the spirit of fear. And it's something I think the devil gives, not God. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. I think the devil will do everything in his power to keep us afraid. And there's, there are people today that are afraid to leave their homes. They're afraid to get out of bed. They fear so many things. You know, the, uh, the, the world isn't uh, totally stupid. And, you know, they, they look and they see, boy, there's someone really struggling with fear. And they recognize the problem that some people are just paralyzed by fear. But the world doesn't see the devil's influence. The world looks for chemical imbalances, right? The devil looks for all these other reasons. It's like the crazy world. They look around and they see, you know, all this wonder of nature and animals and man. And they say it must have evolved. Now, how did it evolve? Let's play with that idea. So they, they see the physical creation, but they don't see the great God of creation, do they? And the world looks and sees fear, but they don't see the spirit of fear. They don't see the devil who 
puts these things and influences both saved and unsaved. And if you know the Lord as your Savior, praise God. But it doesn't mean that you're immune from his influences. And uh, I believe the devil will keep us in fear. Many Christians are terribly afraid of demonic possession because they think they can be possessed by the devil. Many Christians are paralyzed with fear of losing their salvation. Uh, many Christians are, are uh, fearful tonight of threats from other people and maybe even physical harm, threats of physical harm. In certain countries of the world, the devil uses the witch doctor and voodoos and things like that to hold the people in fear and bondage. In this country, the devil can't really, I, I mean, it's present. We do have witches and warlocks and covens and, uh, you know, the, the voodoo and things like that. We do have that present in our country. It's a shame, but we do have it. But what the devil uses more to keep people afraid is the fear of losing their job, losing their cash flow, losing their house if interest rates go up. Things like this keep a lot of people up at night, biting their fingernails, you know, taking Pepto-Bismol for their ulcers, trying to, to work 17 jobs, work themselves to death or something because they're afraid somehow they won't have enough money. That's no way to live. You know, we talk about the Canadian dream or south of the border, the American dream, right? And again, these pictures, you know, of people just in the, the pink of health, living it up on their yacht, out in the beautiful lagoon water, emerald green water or something. You know, oh, these are the successful people. Oh, there's the dream to be able to retire early and just enjoy life. Uh, what comes along with that is a lot of the burden. And it's like a carrot on a stick, you know, how they get the donkey sometimes to go. They put the carrot out there and the donkeys, oh, if I just take a few more steps, I'll get that carrot. It never does. The carrot's on a stick. That's what the devil uses in a lot of people's lives. Hey, come to this wonderful country. Become a millionaire in 10 years or something. Work hard, achieve the dream. It's a carrot on a stick. You know, very few people ever get that money. But in the process of getting the money, they can destroy their health and destroy their friends, destroy their wives and husbands, destroy their kids, really destroy their future to get that carrot on, on the end of the stick. It has been said that many people will sacrifice their health in order to get wealth. And then they end up spending all of their wealth in order to get back their health. What kind of life is that? The spirit of fear, losing your material possessions, losing your children. There's a powerful fear right there. If you don't want to experience that fear, you need to put your children in the Lord's hands. That's a tip to the wise there tonight, my friend. Losing your health is a fear that a lot of people experience. The fear of death. How about that? The fear of death. I think that some unscrupulous employers can use fear to control their workers. Cults obviously use fear to hold their people in bondage. Sadly, some parents try to control their children with fear. What do you mean, pastor? Oh, 
take you oh boy am i if you ever oh you are gonna oh i i don't even want to say what you gonna happen to you if you ever 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 poor old kid has just had the earth move under their feet you know something parent um you you can get your kid to obey when you yell at them you're here oh, oh sorry 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 dad sorry you'll find though that after a few episodes Junior doesn't respond to that. Now you have to raise your voice more. Several more decibels. Yeah! Oh, yeah, sorry, Dad, sorry, Dad. And then it's going to get to the point where even that is going to be ineffective. You're going to have to break something, scream as loud as you can, and break something to get his attention. That's why it's a lousy way to parent. Don't use angry outbursts to try and parent your child. Try and encourage good behavior with these massive... You know, Papa Fusa, whatever, you, you go nuts, you go ballistic on your kid. No, you're teaching them, you're teaching them the wrong thing. Um, there's a, anger is a real emotion, but it's never one to be used in a, a disciplining kind of way. Mm -mm. Use anger to protect your home. Use anger, you know, for, uh, uh, against evil, but not against your, your children, not against loved ones. That's a mistake. And uh, unfortunately, some parents do that. Satan, of course, keeps fear alive with Hollywood. Hollywood is pumping out all kinds of, you know, movies that are box office hits. And they're the creepiest, horrible things that churn your stomach. I remember years ago when they came out with the movie The Exorcist. And, you know, the, the little girl whose head just turns around completely on her body and just horrible, creepy things. And so many people, the news reported this in the theaters, people were coming out and they were vomiting on the sidewalks when the Exorcist movie first came out. Mel Gibson came out with his movie, The Passion, and showed the beating of Jesus. I mean, the blood almost came right off the screen onto the, the moviegoers. And if I remember right, when it went around the world showing in different countries, uh, as many as five people died because of that movie. Like, heart attack, die the impact of that movie was so traumatic. We don't need a Mel Gibson movie. The Lord gave us the table with the bread and the juice. That's the picture he wants us to have. Not this horror flick that Hollywood does. Well, I think the spirit of fear can be recognized by a feeling of bondage and torment, no freedom, feeling trapped, gut grinding, worry, no peace. Some, some people feel trapped in their, their homes. Some people feel trapped in their marriage or their job or their school. Many people are worried to death whether they can pay the rent or put food on the table or make car payments or tests at school. How about that? Or their health. They're paranoid over that. All this and more is caused by the devil's spirit of fear. And God hasn't given us that. You know what God has given us? Verse 7. Number 1 is what? Power. Say it. Power. Number 2 is what? Love. And number 3 is what? Sound mind. That's what God has given us. Well, then why don't I have it? Well, it's the very same reason why a lot of unsafe people don't have Jesus. They've never received Jesus. The gift was offered, but they never reached out and received Jesus. 
A lot of Christians don't have power, love, and a sound mind. God's offering them, but they don't reach out and take them. Hey, maybe we ought to reach out and take them. What do you think? That's a thought. Well, what can we do? We've got to wrap things up here. What can we do? Two things I suggest. You might want to jot these down. Two things. Number one is you need to actively, every day, seek for, ask for God's hedge of protection. God can do things that you can't. God can do things that all the police forces in the world can't do for you. He can protect you. It's called the hedge of protection. Now, you'll read about it primarily in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 10. Satan was pulling his horns out because he couldn't get at Job. He accused God. He said, you've put a hedge of protection around that man. Hey, doesn't that sound good to me? Whoa, sound good to you too? Well, let's do that. Let's ask God every day. You'll also find it in 1 Chronicles 4.10 when we have the prayer of Jabez. And Jabez prayed, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed. And that thine hand might be with me to keep me from evil that it might not grieve me. And the Bible says it pleased God to answer Jabez's prayer. Jabez was praying for a hedge of protection that thy hand might be upon me to keep me from evil. There's the hedge of protection. If you don't pray for the hedge of protection every day, well, you have not because you ask not. How many days are we going to go without asking for God's hedge of protection? Hmm? Pray it. Pray it around you. Pray it around your family and loved ones. Pray it around your church. Pray it around your pastor. I need your prayers. I'm a target for the devil. Uh, number two, I said there were two things. Number one is ask God for a hedge of protection. Number two is guard against demonic influences. Guard against demonic influences. Keep filling your mind with good things. Philippians 4, 8. Throw out everything that destroys peace. If it causes tension. You know, maybe you're working at a job where you just hate it. You just loathe Monday morning. You got to go back into that rat race or something. Well, why don't you ask God to show you if there's another job for you? Or possibly God wants you there because you're the only Christian and he needs someone that will let their light shine. And if you would change your mental attitude about what you're doing, I'm not going to make money. I'm going to serve the Lord. All of a sudden now, oh, these people, these poor people, they, they really need the Lord. You know, my wife and I, we're blessed of God to have three children. I am blessed of God not to have been the bearer of those children. My wife is the one who did all that. She's built for, she can withstand. She, she's an amazing woman. If I had to give birth to those children, you, I wouldn't be here. If it was up to me, men are just not built that way. They, they can't take it. They get, you know, ladies, man gets a cold and the world has to come to an end or something. He's got to stay in bed and play with things, you know, until he gets better. Men are often like that. Ladies, usually they get cold. And, oh, well, it's a cold. And they just keep on and away they go and they keep on working and they, they do their job. But men are funny that way. Well, anyhow, God designed ladies to be able to give birth where he hasn't designed men to do that at all. And he knows that we'd fall apart. Well, I did 
managed to go through uh, the uh, the birthing room with my wife three times. All three children, I was there. Boy, I tell you, though, that first time, I wasn't sure. By the third time, I felt pretty confident. Well, I shouldn't say that. I felt more confident. But the first time, I can remember almost feeling sick to my stomach. Boy, you know, it was a long uh, delivery, too. And uh, my wife specialized in these long, drawn-out... I hear some of you mamas, ladies there, you, you, how many hours? Oh, about four hours, and it was all done, and whatever. And it was like 24 hours just about for our first. And I think our second was 22 hours. I think our third was maybe 20, 21 hours. Long deliveries. But uh, I was there with her. And I remember the first one, I was so tired. I was just wishing this kid would come. I was so tired. And so I saw another bed. There's another bed, an empty bed there in the room. So I looked and I, I, I laid down. And I barely got my eyes closed. And someone grabbed me by the ear and yanked and said, you get out of that bed. And it was this nurse. And I said, yes, sir. And I got out of that bed in a hurry. Wow. But you know, um, I wasn't sure if I could go through the delivery room there, you know, I I wouldn't say it's worse than changing, changing diapers, you know, for a guy to change diapers, you know, that's, Ooh, boy, that's pretty creepy for some of us guys to change diapers. Oh, honey, help. Anyhow, the delivery room there, I wasn't sure I could do it. But then I remembered something that a friend of mine said in Bible college and his wife got pregnant and he didn't think he could do it either. But then, you know, in there in the birthing room, push, push, you know, all that stuff. And then he suddenly thought, this poor woman laying there, this poor lady laying there, look at the pain and agony she's going through. And that helped bolster, you know, he suddenly had inner strength and he was there. Come on, honey. And, you know, he was a good coach. He was right there with her. Well, I remembered that. And I thought, look at this poor woman. Look what she has to go through. And that really helped me. It really did. Well, I'm not quite sure now why I told you that. <laughs> Lost my train of thought, which is happening more these days. But uh, I tell you, there was a good application to that there somewhere. And I'll think of it later tonight and tell you next week, I suppose. But um, no, this, throw out anything that damages peace, that destroys peace. And ask God to show you anything in your life that's not right. Oh, I remember what I was going to tell you. You're at a, a, a crummy workplace with all these crummy people and, and you just hate going there. That's what I was going to tell you. Well, look upon it as a ministry and say, these poor people, they're on their way to hell. They need a Christian influence. All of a sudden now, you're bringing the Holy Spirit into it. You're going to do fair a whole lot better at that. Well, anyhow, we need to close. And uh, we're talking tonight about demonic influences in the Christian life. So if I were to ask you, what are some, some uh, minor demonic influences in your life? What might you answer to me? What's the first one? Hmm? Murder. I thought someone said lavender. No, no. Lavender is good. It's murder. That's a minor influence. You and I are probably not tempted whatsoever to run and go get shotguns and shoot up people. Some people in the world are, though, unfortunately. We're not tempted with bank robbery 
We're not tempted to do some of these wild, wicked, horrible things that other people are tempted with. But we're tempted in other areas. And those areas are major demonic influences in our lives. And we must never forget, we are in a battlefield, not a recreation hall. It's a war and not a game. And daily, we got to keep the armor on. We got to keep renewing our mind. So two things. Keep, keep asking for a hedge of protection. And keep your guard up. Let's stand for prayer, shall we?